Overworked, a podcast. Bold storytelling. Balanced lives. Brighter futures. Hi, everyone. It's myself, Mossmi, Shallon, Caitlin, and Jill. Later in the episode, I will also introduce a very special guest. Today's topic is a unique one as it mixes technology with human bias. For decades, the words artificial intelligence evoked aliens, machines taking over the human race, and even action movies like Avengers, Age of Ultron, which I can't say I've seen, but anyways. Um, In the tech world also, we've seen Siri and Alexa gain their fair share of the market. And corporations are scrambling to strategize how best they can use AI. But has technology really become smart enough to let machines make decisions meant for humans? Uh, that's a great question, Moss. I can't help but I always think of Minority Report, um, you know, the Tom Cruise movie where he has the screens and he's he's predicting who's going to kill somebody. Um, and of course, we know in the well, spoiler alert, hopefully <laughs> it's an old movie, but spoiler alert, uh, it doesn't work. So I think we're realizing now that there are some pitfalls. Um, but one of the key areas that AI has been used in corporate America over the past several years is actually in recruiting. Um, but it hasn't been perfect either. To bring this to light a bit, um, we have to talk about Amazon AI hiring, the the scandal from 2018. Um, Amazon has been winning through the years because of its use of technology and everything from delivery drones to automation in the supply chain. Um, you, you name it, they're trying to use technology to solve it. They thought they would be bringing this innovative thinking into their recruiting by automating resume review, choosing the top five resumes from several they received for a given role, which seems great in theory, saves a lot of time. They're able to focus on key skills and experiences needed, but there was just one issue. Their AI didn't like women, right? And I'm sure it also had issues with other uh, minority groups as well, different names. My name is Challen. They don't know if I'm a boy or a girl in many instances. Um, but it tends to cause issues when there aren't names that it's used to or um, gender-specific issues as well. So um, to quote Reuters, they they actually wrote an article about this topic. There were several pieces about this scandal in 2018, and it continues to be one of the marquee examples of how AI can really mess things up. But the Reuters piece goes... In effect, Amazon's system taught itself that male candidates were preferable. It penalized resumes that included the word women's, as in women's chess club captain, and it downgraded graduates of of two all-women's colleges, according to people familiar with the matter. They did not specify the names of those schools. So this is just a perfect example of how AI was trained by the human bias to deselect people who might have been perfectly good candidates. Right. I think that's a great point. Um, You know, you would think AI doesn't teach itself, right? Because bias comes from humans. But um, our special guest tells me that sometimes it can teach itself. But we'll get to that a little bit later in the episode. Um, I'm just really, really excited um, to introduce Rishi Bihari. He is a professional coach, consultant and speaker. And he founded his own company doing just that called Flow State. Rishi was most recently the Associate Director of the Masters of Management in the Artificial Intelligence Program at the Smith School of Business at Queen's University. That is a mouthful. His other areas of focus have been diversity inclusion programs at places like Google and BCG. His other, maybe probably like slightly bigger claim to fame is that he's my cousin and um, I've known him my entire life. 
And I'm so excited we could collaborate on this episode. And beyond being my cousin, I think he might be Overwork's biggest fan. Um, I remember telling him I was going to do this and he was so gung-ho about it. Um, So Rishi, so glad to have you. Thanks so much for uh, having me here. I feel like, yeah, I've listened to every episode so far. I feel like you guys are all celebrities and I'm very excited to be part of it and to chat. So excited to have you. Um, So, you know, I love, I obviously know your whole story of how you got into all of this. Um, But I think a lot of people who are listening probably don't even know the definitions of like bias and what that implication means in AI. Would you kind of give us a little bit of what that is? Absolutely. Happy to uh, talk about that. And so I thought it would be appropriate since we're talking about bias in AI to see if this works, if I can ask Siri um, to tell us what bias is. So here we go. Siri, what is bias? Bias is a disproportionate weight in favor of or against an idea or thing, usually in a way that is close-minded, prejudicial, or unfair. So we have an idea of what bias is. And when it comes to AI, I think maybe it'll help to explain a little bit, uh, as you've alluded to, of how AI really works. But it's important to start with the differentiation between bias and discrimination. Because one of the things that we realize is that as humans, we can uncover bias and we can talk about unconscious bias, which is, you know, been a hot topic, but we can't necessarily eliminate it. We can just try to account for it and adjust. And so discrimination occurs when bias is used to uh, create some sort of inequality or inequity between groups. So you can have bias without having discrimination. And that's part of what we're talking about today is how did that bias appear in that, you know, Amazon sort of resume scrubbing tool that they were trying to build. So if it's helpful, I'll kind of back up and talk a little bit about how AI learns. Like how did, how did the AI in that case at Amazon learn that? And so you mentioned Age of Ultron, which I've definitely watched. Uh, And a lot of people think of that in terms of AI, they think of what we would call AGI or artificial general intelligence, meaning that there's some, sort of sentience uh, out there that the, that the machine develops. And famously, Elon Musk and Bill Gates have both come out openly and talked about some of the dangers that they feel uh, that will happen with AI. I think it's important to know that all the experts that I've talked to or listened to, currently there's, there's no way that they know of the, of, for that type of AI to exist. AI is not self-aware, it's not conscious, it doesn't know what you're talking about, it only knows how to deliver the results you ask it for, if that makes sense within certain parameters. So as of right now, you know, uh, there's, I listened to one uh, talk where they said, if you want the the survivor robotic uprising, just like close your door because machines can't open doors. Um, So there's a lot, often when I talk about it, I talk about what AI can't do. And so this idea of a general intelligence that's out there, the arguments that uh, Elon Musk and Bill Gates are making is really long-term thinking. They're basically saying at the speed of innovation, eventually we'll get there, but no experts right now have any idea how that could ever happen. So in this case, um, you know, with Amazon, they ask it, they're basically asking it, like, how can we get the best candidates? And, and so you think you have to train a machine to learn something. So if you think of an example of either like a small child How do you train it? You have to give it input. And as humans, we all have eyes and ears and our senses that help us gather input. Machines don't have that. So we have to find a way to train them. And there's a couple different ways that you can do that. And without getting to the uh, technicalities of it, really some of those ways are you label data and you feed it 
to the machine. And so that's something that they would call supervised learning where you've labeled it. Machines can also, you can give it the rules of a game like chess that you've probably heard those examples of or go and you teach it the game and it just plays the game over and over and over within the rules and has perfect recall and memory of every game it's played. And so then it starts to teach itself, you know, all the variables within the game. In this case, what happened was Amazon uploaded all their previous hiring decisions. And so it revealed that there had been a bias of some type already that they were favoring male candidates. But then you can go upstream from that and say, well, there have just been more males applying and all sorts of all sorts of uh, things like that. So really, when you think about AI, it, the fact is that we are we are the ones teaching it or setting the parameters. And so unconscious bias will come in. And I've got you know some interesting examples we can talk about with that. But even I just asked Siri a question. Um, and I don't know if, it, if anybody can think of some of the common things that Siri and Alexa, two of the most popular ones we have in common. Does anything come to mind between those two? Their female name. Their female names and their personal assistant. And so why is it that our default setting of a personal assistant is, is always female names and female sounding voices? Of course, you can change it. But then you look at like IBM Watson, who's on Jet, was famously on Jeopardy, and that's a male voice and name. And so you can see that this unconscious bias is already built into the tools that we're using that we don't even realize. So if you think about our training, I mentioned the idea of like, you know, training a small child. Another way to look at it would be a teacher. And um, you're learning from uh, a teacher who's written a bunch of textbooks. You could learn everything from one author. That would give you a fairly narrow point of view on the world. So if you start adding different perspectives, different authors, and you start to gain a better understanding. So you can start to see how some of these biases leak into the AI that we create. That makes perfect sense. Um, and something that kind of makes uh, what you're saying in real life versus technology, the, the first thing that comes to mind for me is a lot of times when hiring teams are hiring for a lower level, you see a lot of women there. Everything is pretty equal, um, kind of 50-50 at the lower levels. And as you get higher up, there are fewer and fewer women. Um, and so the resume example is a perfect one of it, it learned that as maybe a title gets higher, the likelihood of that candidate or the preferred candidate being a male, it just kind of trickles in that way. So totally understand what you're saying. And the other thing I was thinking of when you were talking was that it learns, um, but it doesn't understand sarcasm. You know, there are all the jokes about asking Siri a sarcastic joke and she answers it like real. And you're like, oh, that's right. not as fun. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I digress. So I think one of the examples Moss and I have talked about is, you know, this is not, none of this is new. So back in 1988, probably when all of this was really early, um, the UK Commission for Racial Equality found a British medical school guilty of discrimination. So taking bias and actually using it to discriminate. Um, but the computer program it was using to determine which applicants would be invited for interviews was determined to be biased against women and those of non-European names. So, you know, not the Tylers and Justins and Johns of the group. Then on the flip side, there's subconscious and unconscious bias. Um, and one of the best examples that I can think of that's not really tech focused, um, but one way to kind of weed out that bias was um, in the symphony orchestra, you know, having blind auditions. And um, one of the stats from the top five orchestras um, using blind 
um, auditions went from 6% of women being hired in 1970, that number going up to 21% in 1993, just purely by removing seeing what the candidate looked like. So just keeping those things in mind, um, in the tech world, are there ways to game the system so that those of us who would get weeded out can actually be considered? Yeah, that's a really great question. And so um, and maybe I'll take one quick step back to what I was talking about earlier in terms of if we're using AI to do this, you're trying to game the system. The way, you know, I talked about the way it learns. Generally, it, there's a three-step process that it goes through. First is diagnostic information. So let's look at potentially what's happened in the past. And then it goes predictive. So based on what's happened in the past, can we predict what's going to happen in the future? And there's some issues with that assumption as well, because new things can happen that haven't happened before. But then the third is prescriptive, so strategy. So places will set strategies. So in this case, they're saying we want the best musicians. And for whatever reasons, you know, that has uh, been men in the past. So we have to take a step back and actually, with your question, Take a look at the technical side, but then take a look back at the non-technical side, the human side. So a lot of my work has been in human-centered design and innovation. And as advances in technology get better, it's actually the advice we would give, instead of gaming the system on the AI side, people are working on those problems, but it actually comes back to the human skills that you need to have. And so if you're trying to get a job or or, or you know, land an interview somewhere. It's still the human skills that are most important. And at the Career uh, Services Center at, at the school that I worked at, we were constantly being told by employers that the technical skills, the hard skills were the table stakes. They expect you to know that, but it's the soft skills and the communication that will really get you there. So I would always say I still will highly encourage anyone not to rely on a resume as the thing that's gonna get their foot in the door. And in an age of increasing technical skills, the soft skills are actually missing more often and, and employers are looking for a mix of both. I also think there's an interesting you know, implication in the question from an ethical point of view is if you wanna game the system, the idea is do you wanna try and change the system from within or do you want to put pressure on it from without? And we've seen a lot of examples of both in society. And it's a bit of an ethical question that if I'm gaming this system, am I really challenging it enough? Because why is the system set up this way to begin with? So those are a couple of things I would think about in answering that question. Hey, you know, I, you know, with my name, Moth Me, same thing, child. People don't know if I'm a man or a woman. And this has actually happened when I give media interviews. I'll put Mr. Bihari, who will automatically think a digital strategist for a leading company must be a mister. And so now, you know, we've been sending out my quotes and it's literally, we have to put Miss Masumi Bahari that get quoted properly. So that's just a bias, you know, an unconscious bias that's happening there. Um, but curious to talk about some of the examples, Rishi, you said, um, you know, Amazon obviously being the most, um, I guess with Amazon trying to automate everything, you know, they kind of become the poster child for when things go wrong as well. But, um, you know, interested in other spaces where this has happened. Yeah, absolutely. There was a, a chat bot that was quite successful in China that uh, Microsoft tried to replicate and they put it on Twitter. Um, and within 24 hours or less, it had learned a whole bunch of uh, racial misogynist slurs and was swearing and, and saying all sorts of inappropriate stuff. And in that case, it was because people actually figured out how to hack the system um, and taught it to do all of this type of thing. Um, there, there are plenty of examples. Another interesting one was actually Apple released a credit card a few years ago 
And so Steve Wozniak, as many people know, one of the founders, uh, he and his wife, I think both applied in the AI pre-approved them both for the card, except for it was, he was given 10 times the credit limit that she was. And they had actually learned from the mistake that Amazon made and they had taken gender out of the equation of, of the criteria that they would consider. And what happens though, is that when we go back to the subconscious bias, the machine learns that there are other ways of figuring this out. And so one example would be postal code, for example, if you're looking at that and it starts to figure out that some people, and not in their case specifically, but if it figures out that cultural groups all have a similar postal code, then it's not, it doesn't again, know that that's a cultural group. It just knows that people that live in that area are less, you know, considered by the algorithm to be able to pay back a loan. And that doesn't take into account that, that there's all one type of cultural group living in that area. Other things it might learn from depending on how you're training it. So they, back to the example of Steve Wozniak and his wife, like if you even just do a quick Google search of almost anything, I know when I'm preparing slides to teach, type in CEO, type in nurse, see what pops up. And you'll see that there's biases embedded in all of this. So we have to really be conscious of the type of training data that we're using. And then sometimes we think, oh, we've eliminated gender. So it's not going to appear there, but the machine can often pick up that these biases are rooted in all sorts of other types of data that are associated. And I think the other interesting thing is, is, you know, we talk about all marginalized groups. So it's not even at this point, gender bias, right? It's like socioeconomic biases. It's, um, you know, diversity inclusion biases. Um, how does diverse, how, how does the work that you do in diversity inclusion play into AI? I think it's really about having conversations. So one, just like, the, you know, what we've talked about in terms of how AI does work and doesn't work, there's a lot of misunderstanding out there. So then you realize that we can actually start to deploy it for good reasons as well. And there are famous examples of when it goes wrong. There are also people working on that on, on the other side of things. And so I think it's having conversations about how do we hire? Like, what do we look for? And it actually comes down to, in AI specifically, and, and um, equity, diversity, inclusion, asking better questions. So the question shouldn't be who is the best candidate for the job, because the machine in that case is doing exactly what you told it to because you asked the wrong question. We need to learn to ask better questions around what does that look like in terms of the best person for the job? Is that all that we want? Do we want to have representation? Do we want to have diversity? And so I think it's looking at the conversations and the questions that we're asking and the assumptions that might be held within them that will help address this problem. I feel like that it, it it's so true. And I feel like organizations have a job description that they're thinking of. And, you know, you have the 10 requirements that you think you need. Um, but maybe to your point of earlier about soft skills and you just don't realize exactly what else you need. Um, actually, my team is a perfect example of that. Before I joined, I had Caitlin join. I had this very specific role that I wanted. I wanted somebody who could come in and own marketing automation. And that's all I wanted them to do was, you know, lead gen and marketing automation. So the tech skills were super important to me. And that's all I really cared about. Fast forward two and a half years. And Caitlin is my right-hand woman and she does everything. She does everything from training people on our team to helping me recruit other people for our team to like anything with the organization, she does it. And I had no idea at the time that instead of needing, you know, a point guard, I actually needed a utility player. Like I need somebody who could be all over the place doing everything with me because we're a small team, right? But had I used AI at the time, I would not have Caitlin and our team would not be as successful as it is today. Um, so again, I think it's asking those questions, right? 
So I think to that point, this is not just a technical problem. Um, a 2018 Gartner report predicted that through 2030, 85% of all AI projects will provide false results caused by bias. What do you think about who's programming AI? Is it, do we need to have more diversity in those teams as well? More women or more people of color? Does that matter? Absolutely. That matters a lot. And I think that's really where this is going is to say that we need diverse ranges of experience. Back to the analogy of the author, we need authors of code. Um, I mean, math is the language that the computer speaks, but it's coming from a person with lived experiences that will inform that. And so it, I, you know, I, it's hard to say what someone else would code that I wouldn't, but it's important that we get that perspective. And it's good to have teams that are diverse, not just in terms of gender um, and some of the more commonly thought of areas, but also even vocationally, like having a storyteller, for example, that's part of your process that understands the lived experiences of people bringing diverse disciplines. We had um, doctors that were coming in to our AI program and having people that have different points of view on, on humanity. So with more authors, we end up getting a better result. And we know that. And so I think it really is important. And we know that also in STEM that, you know, for, for when I was running that program, it was quite difficult to recruit an equal number of female candidates as male candidates. And we put a lot of effort and work into that. And, you know, we can talk about the reasons some of that, um, some of those uh, issues exist, but it, they don't see examples of people like them, then people don't go into those fields. And so that was one of the major things why it's important to get more and more varied experiences as well, so that the future pipeline will be built by people who can see themselves doing this work also. I 100% agree. And I think part of the work that um, this podcast hopes to do is show women um, through storytelling um, what all the different things that they can do. And um, I think one of the things we've realized is that uh, when I, for instance, I, you know, I went to school several years ago and I got a degree in computer science. I was the only female to graduate in my class with the Bachelor of Science in Computer Science. Fast forward to now, you know, I'm interviewing girls um, who are, who have those degrees and things like that. And it's so exciting to see that. Um, but unless you see someone who's gone through all that, because I think our struggles are different. Um, for instance, when I went into a class and I got a bad grade, I went to the professor and I started to cry. And his words to me were, you'll never make it in engineering because you're too emotional. Wow. Yeah. And now we need people to understand emotion to teach, um, teach machines about it. Uh, yeah. Crazy. You should send him a link to this podcast. <laughs> It's just, it's one of those things, but like, uh, why are emotions a bad thing too, right? He had, he had bias against emotions. Like I felt bad because I got a bad grade. That's okay. It's because I, you know, normally did well in school. Um, so, so those are types of things too, that I think that have a bias all of their own, you know? Um, I mean, I know they say women are very emotional, but then when you think about like the men who started wars, they're all because they're angry over land or women or things like that, right? So there's a lot of <laughs> Totally. Well, I know that the research does show, interestingly, that men on the career side are much more willing to apply for something that they're partially qualified for, uh, whereas women will not apply unless they feel like they're 100% qualified. And so whether that's a program um, like the one that, that I was talking about in AI, we definitely need to change that and, and have women feel like they can 
give it a try. And, and you did that in your careers and you've, you've all done that, but unfortunately it's not as common um, as, it, as it should be. We definitely need to change that. Do you think it's not as common? You know, I'm, I'm wondering, like, is it less common in, um, in economies that aren't doing as well possibly, or is it just across the board um, that women are not, you know, applying for those jobs? Well, my understanding, um, and of course you, you could speak to it better than I, than I could from, from your lived experience, but is that if you're, I think the idea was that if you're going to play a, a man's game, I'm talking about, you know, when you're getting advice as a, as a young woman, um, that you have to be perfect to, to, to be able to step in the ring. And that is, shouldn't be an ex expectation of anyone. We know the value from research that I talked about um, human-centered design and design thinking, failure is a really important part of the learning process. And there's that even a part of what's built into some machine learning, um, it's called backpropagation, but it's like reducing the error over time. And if we're not allowed to do that, then of course it would be scary to try and feel like you have to be perfect to even get in the ring. And so, you know, I'd be interested in your thoughts on that, but I, that's my understanding of a little bit of where that comes from. We've talked a little bit about that before, um, like even just earlier in your career, you may, as women, you may be a little bit more um, risk averse and, you know, less confident. Um, we talked about this actually with the podcast with Eric, where he said he just uh, just gave himself a better title <laughs> and it worked. I remember. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, I mean, I'm the new CEO of um, challenbarrowbusiness.com. Um, no, I'm kidding. But it, truthfully, I think one, it, it's kind of a gene gender thing. I hate to say that because maybe there are some women who are way more confident than I was early on in my career. Um, but then I think the other piece of it is now that I'm further in my career, I could probably BS with the best of them. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think, Moss? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I know we've talked about this before, but I interviewed Shallon for her position and um, she was feisty. She came in right away and she's like, yeah, your website sucks. And I was like, excuse me. <laughs> but um, I liked right. Um, but I think what I liked about her is she had a definite opinion. And I think in a world where sometimes marginalized groups are told to shut up and be quiet and just take it, you know, um, it's important to have an opinion. And, you know, like we've said for so long is to have a voice. And um, I don't want to digress too much, but all the things going on in Texas with abortion laws and things like that. Um, just this last weekend was the Women's March in several different cities. Um, and it shows that having a voice and in, in numbers is very important. And I think part of, you know, getting back to our topic now is um, I feel like this is not really a technology problem. It's really that, you know, bias problem. And the only way we like start to get better at it is in numbers, right? Like educating, just like you're doing, Rishi, um, you know, facilitating different groups. And, and um, you know, honestly, a couple of years ago, I didn't even realize what unconscious bias was, but we all have it. Um, so I think it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing to, to be reflective and learn that about yourself, because as, as woke as you may be, you know, everyone has something that they need to kind of learn more about. 
I was just going to say, we've talked a lot about some of the negatives, um, like how this can go wrong. Um, but are there organizations that are doing it right? Like, can, are there organizations that should kind of be aspirational for other smaller companies to, um, I guess, get the right foot forward in removing bias and discrimination in their um, hiring process? Right. Well, you know, it's interesting. You guys are in Chicago and uh, the University of Chicago actually has what they call an alg algorithmic bias initiative where they're looking to identify and help mitigate bias. So AI can actually be used to counteract this as well, but it comes back to the human side of, are we asking the right questions? Are we doing the right things? And it's interesting because AI is a bit of a wild west. There's not a ton of regulation around what you can and can't do. And there's a lot of good that's being done. Um, when I talked about the model of diagnostic and predictive, whether that's helping in COVID, um, being able to predict and model, understand, change policy and regulations, um, hospital beds. There's all sorts of things that once you gain the ability to predict based on past information, you can do so many good things. You can think of an example. Um, I've read about AI and chatbots in the case of if someone's in an abusive relationship where it might not be safe to speak out loud if they can interact online with uh, with a chatbot or, or it's software that understands that they need help that can be sent. Um, there's so many different applications. Uh, one of our students at one point was working with the police to use AI to help um, capture uh, criminals involved in human trafficking. There's just a ton of really positive applications of this type of technology. And AI is not good or bad, it's just a tool. It's kind of like, I think of it as like fire, it's elemental. It's how you use it that's important. And so I think it's important that we have these conversations and understand as humans, what can we do to ask better questions of the machines, to have more diverse teams? There's uh, a saying we use often in the you know DEI world, which is, about the difference between um, diversity and inclusion. Diversity is being invited to the dance. Inclusion is actually being invited to dance at it. And so that we don't just have representation, but we have the voices of those people, whether it's in code or in conversation. And so AI is an interesting area where there's just, uh, we make a lot of trade-offs for convenience in our lives. If you think about why AI is so used, whether it's Netflix suggesting what it thinks you wanna watch, at some point you're trading your data for convenience or Amazon, its success came from the recommender system. They doubled from like 35 billion uh, in a year to 70 billion, just because they had purchase history and said, hey, uh, Challen, I think you bought this, you might wanna buy that. So there are trade-offs in the way it improves our lives. And in terms of specific companies that are doing it well, I think it's more about creating a community and conversation around all AI so that we can do a better job and not have these issues like what happened with Amazon, but it was caught and we did uh, figure it out over time and, and we're getting better. And so I think it's important to keep that hopefulness of what this technology can do for us as well. I always find it really interesting that AI ends up being the villain in the story. It's always the technology, right? And really, I, I feel like people allow that to be like Age of Ultron, like, okay, the technology is the bad guy, but you always there's somebody behind the curtain you know, figuring it out. And that could be a good person too, right? Absolutely. Tony Stark. Uh, it, it really, it, in Hollywood, that's the stories that have been told that ultimately uh, AI is the bad guy, but AI is not a good guy or a bad guy. It's really up to us what it, what it does and how smart we are with how we use it. I feel like we're already having bias because we're calling AI a guy, like a bad guy or a good guy, right? So I feel like that was the solution section. <laughs> 
Uh, but Moss, do you have another question? You know, we always try to roll these into a solution for organizations or individuals to um, kind of take away some good from our conversation. Um, so Rishi, I, you know, as we talk about the careers and getting weeded out in the system, you know, I can't help but think, is there a way to make yourself stand out? And I know when our parents moved here as immigrants, um, they started using English names, right? For instance, my dad's name is Sean. He went as Sam. Um, your dad is Verinder. He went as Bob, you know? Um, so, you know, and as little kids, me and Rishi used to laugh about this all the time, but like now looking back, you know, um, you know, at that time we were both living in Canada and a Canada of 40, 50 years ago, there were not a lot of, there was not a lot of diversity, honestly. So, you know, there is a way to kind of make yourself fit in in some, in some kind of visible way, even though we know like it, it doesn't always work, right? Um, so, you know, just like that, do people need to do things like that on their online resume to, so they, you know, for instance, I'm Masmi, should I just put M Bihari? Um, you know, what are, what are the things that you can do? Um, as you progress in your career, not only in your resume, but just as, you know, you go through um, climbing the ladder, so to speak. Right, absolutely. And my dad got, a, uh, I think, a piece of mail that came to Mrs. Brenda Bahari, and that was when he decided to change the name to Bob uh, officially. And it, I've, I've known a lot of students and a lot of colleagues that have done this. Um, it's very common when people come to, like you said, change their name. I think it does come back to what we touched on a little bit, um, back to the human side of the skill set is connecting with people. Ultimately, the AI might help filter or sort the resumes, but it's going to come down to the culture of the place. Are you a good fit? Have you talked to someone there? And I'm a big fan of always demoing yourself in terms of every knowing that every conversation is a demo of what it's going to be like to work with you. And if you're not doing that, it's very hard to get ahead. And then what you actually talked about with Challen in terms of showing her personality in an interview, that's the other thing is if you do get the chance is to be authentic and bring your experiences to the table. What I have found doing a lot of um, interviews for recruiting for the program or in other positions I've held is that a lot of people just come in sort of blah, like saying what they think you want to hear. And it's happened to me twice in my career that I actually got a different job than the one I applied for because they said, hey, for whatever reason, this might not work out, you're not the best fit for this, but would you consider this? And it's allowed me to thrive in areas that were authentically a good fit. And so the things that I, I think about when I work with my clients are strengths. Do you understand and know your strengths and can you demonstrate them in an effective way? Again, whether that's on a resume or CV or in person and actually show them some work that you've done or get a chance to have a conversation that show off some of your communication skills and other soft skills. The other is knowing what you want to say no to and being able to cut out the things that you, we get tempted. We get pulled into situations where maybe we're in a workplace that isn't healthy. It uh, could be somewhat toxic and we stay for different reasons and being willing to say no to those situations leaves us room to really wander in our lives and careers, I think in the right direction uh, and get an, and set so, like a North star or, or goals that you want. And then understanding what you value and does the culture um, of where you want to work and embody those values so that you're in alignment. There's a business quote, Peter Drucker, that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And so we've all been there. I've heard you guys talk about it on the podcast. If you end up at a place where even if you have the perfect role on paper and the culture isn't what you want, especially in these you know days of talking about diversity and inclusion, you really it's worth doing your homework to find out, you know, if that's a place you really want to be at or if there's a better place 
uh, or better position that could embody, you know, your own values and what you're looking to put out in the world. So what's next for you, Rishi? I know you are just recently um, moving on onto your own company. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I just founded Flow State Coaching and Consulting. My passion really is helping other people find, discover, and realize their passions. I had my own crazy journey uh, for another podcast in terms of getting to where I am today, but I realized that a lot of the key questions that you know people need to answer for their lives and careers aren't being asked. And it's not until people get deep into a career, they look back and go, oh man, uh, this wasn't exactly for me and where do I go from here? So the next phase uh, of life for me is actually, um, I'm traveling, I'm out in Western Canada, I'm Vancouver Island and Victoria right now. I'm going to be going to Tofino um, and doing some surfing and just really enjoying working in my passion, working remotely, hopefully be in Chicago to visit you soon. Um, I'm teaching uh, a course on the intersection of AI and business. I'm continuing to facilitate conversations with companies around equity, diversity, inclusion. So really kind of doubling down on all the stuff I love most about my work and getting to do it on my own terms now and from where I want and how I want and really excited to do that. What an interesting time to be doing that too. I feel like the, and this is for an entirely other podcast, but COVID has kind of allowed people to take a step back and think about what they want to keep doing. Like labor is in control right now more than it has been in a long time. So I would love to meet with you again in six or 12 months and see what you've seen and how different it's been versus before. Absolutely. I would love to do that. I actually just had a call today where we were talking about, um, I'm working uh, with a company called Third Factor that actually works with the Canadian Olympic team and private corporations on training and coaching. And we were talking about the great resignation that's coming up. And so some of what we're talking about today is about retention and recruitment of employees. How are you going to get people to come in following this great resignation? But there's the other side of the coin that if people are resigning, resigning, they're going somewhere. And so I'm really interested in where it is that those people are going, what they've said no to and what they're wandering towards next uh, and and happy to chat about that down the road. Definitely. Um, and I'm so excited that we could have you on the pod. And, um, you, you know, researching this topic, I think was eye-opening for all of us. We had no idea that this was a great topic. And I think for our listen- listeners, that was great too. And um, also for our listeners, they got two Bihari's for the price of one. So we're a steal of the day. Steal of the day. Um, yeah, I was like, the bill rate on that is probably pretty high. So, um, but Caitlin, um, can you take us in into the inspiration? Yeah, actually, before I hop in there, um, something that we were talking about earlier about like zip code analysis and stuff like that. I want to ask you one more question, Rishi, um, with this great resignation and with the increase in remote work, have you seen that widening that pool a little bit and being able to recruit from anywhere has helped with diversity in hiring or has that, have people still been hiring from the same places where their kind of hubs are? Uh, from what I have seen in terms of the, the program that we were recruiting for at the school and what employers told us, it, it is easier because people are more flexible. So employers realize they need to allow for more flexible work conditions for people to return to or work from. And people are willing to work from, from wherever. So it doesn't really matter about the geographic region. So it, I think it is good news to your point that it does increase the pool if both sides are willing to compromise. There are some logistics issues like time zones and all that. But I think we realized over the last year and a half, um, 
that we, people can make it work and that there's no reason not to do that. And, and there's so many benefits, um, you know, not just, not just broader pools of diversity and talent, but it's better for the environment. People aren't just going back and forth every day. So I think that this new way of remote working is going to be a bigger piece of the puzzle going forward for sure. And I think, yeah, you raise a great point that there's a lot more diversity in terms of who can look at what job now. And I think we've torn down a lot of barriers in a short amount of time that would have existed, um, you know, up until pre pandemic about how work can be done and who can do it. That's the kind of positivity I'm looking for in 2021 here. Come on. <laughs> awesome. Good um, so leading into the inspiration section, then uh, we talked a lot about this episode about gender bias, but AI can also pose a real problem for applicants with disabilities. Um, I'm linking an article in the blog from Technology Review that dives into some of the challenges that can arise for people applying online, including asking for reasonable accommodation during the application process and how that can kind of weed out people that would otherwise be perfectly suited for that process or that position rather. Um, I'll also, if, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I'm uh, often the one that's calling on larger policy reform, policy change to support immediate um, micro level changes as well in companies. So did a little research at the end of 2020, a group of senators uh, wrote a letter to the chair of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, which oversees um, hiring biases and things like that, asking about its oversight authority over AI screening and hiring tools and trying to get that a little bit more federally re regulated. Specifically, they're talking about um, making the commission responsible for ensuring that technologies do not act as built-in, what they call built-in headwinds for minority groups. This led to the EEOC affirming that AI hiring does require oversight. I'll link an article from Bloomberg Law about that decision on our blog as well. If you want to check that out, it's at weareoverworked.com. Jill, you want to bring us home? Sure thing. Um, thank you, Rishi, for joining us today and to our listeners at home for tuning in. Um, if you'd like to connect with him on LinkedIn, we will have his contact information in our show notes. Um, additionally, if you'd like to share any comments, questions, thoughts, or feedback you have, you can follow and tag us on Instagram or Facebook at We Are Overworked or at Overworked, a podcast on LinkedIn. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to our channel to get notified when we release our newest episodes. Thanks for tuning in.